together this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 5. Thank you for joining uh, with us this morning, both here in person. It's, it's wonderful as the church gathers together once again, but also for those who are joining us online. Uh, sometimes we forget there are many of our members who are watching uh, through our camera, through our various other means, who uh, chime in each week to hear the sermon. Remember them, pray for them, and uh, be reminded that there are many more of us who are uh, hearing God's word. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Father God, for the joy that we have to be people, to be your people who long to know you more. I pray, Father God, that now as we look at your word, that you would encourage our hearts and our minds, help us to depend on you. Help us to be reminded that you are God, that we are not, that we have hope in you because of your son, Jesus. I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning, Father God, for our joy and for our affection for you, that we would desire to know you more. I pray, Father God, that now as your word is preached, that you would speak through me, give the words that you would want me to say to encourage your people. We ask in Jesus' name. As we turn to the book of James, James chapter 5, we're continuing our, our series on one another's, one another's. This is our, our last one. I mentioned four weeks ago already that through this month of February, we would be looking at the study of the one, some of the one another's in the New Testament. I have a book on my shelf where I looked up some of these, and as the author pointed out, that there are 59 one another passages in the New Testament. And we've only taken a few weeks to look at a handful. But as we've looked about honoring one another and loving one another, keeping in step with the Spirit, and as well as our, our care for one another, not to provoke one another, this morning we want to talk about prayer, or simply put, pray for one another. The question for, before us this morning I want us to ponder is, is prayer a ritual for the Christian, or is it something is prayer just a ritual for Christians, or is it something more? One pastor asked this, What role does the body of Christ play in praying for one another? What is our role? Or more specifically, what role does confession and prayer play? Do we take it seriously? Is prayer just a means by which we transition during a time of a worship service? Is prayer just a ritual? Is prayer something we do because we know we're supposed to? Or is prayer something more? In our text today, it's going to talk about praying for one another, but it's also going to talk about confessing to one another. But what comes to our mind when we think of confession? What comes to our mind? Maybe a priest. Maybe a priest comes into our mind. I know it has in mind. Maybe it's from a background in, in uh, a Catholic church or some other means of, of church that's followers of God are supposed to do, maybe something else, maybe some other ritual, but what comes to our mind when we think of confession? One Bible commentator says this, it is through confession, though confession is mentioned in scripture, it is never required to go to a priest, never mentioned, but scripture does tell us to pray for one another and to confess to one. The context of our passage here in the epistle of James 
as dealing with sin and sickness in the local church. That although God is sovereign in all things and in control, and sometimes people just get sick, it happens. We have weak, frailing bodies exposed to the elements of this world. And sometimes we, we wonder, like, when everybody gets sick, or in the case of maybe a global pandemic, you know, is this some kind of judgment of God? Some people think so, some people don't. But whatever the case may be, James does hint at that sometimes there is sickness in the church due to sin and God's judgment. And it must be dealt with. And sometimes we just get sick. Various elements. And we desire to pray for one another, to encourage one another, build one another up. But in the midst of that, James is acknowledging that sickness is a real thing, but also that sin. Sin is a real thing. Sin is something that every man child is guilty of. And we as believers in Jesus Christ are not exempt. Although we are saved, we are redeemed, we are bought with a price, we are no longer dead in the trespasses, and once we once, once walked, yet still we are in these sinful bodies. It is spiritual warfare on a daily basis. To deny ourselves, to confess our sins, to repent of our sins, and go to the Lord. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, as one another, as we're talking about, Scripture calls us to pray for one another and to confess to one another. This is where accountability takes place. This is where we grow when we expose sin for what it is. And this is the heart of James' message here. And this morning we want to look at verse 16 specifically. This, this one verse in James chapter 5, verse 16. If you're not already there, turn to James chapter 5, verse 16. And we want to remind ourselves, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that God is at work through prayer. That God is at working in his people as we pray for one another. That prayer shows our dependence on God. And the result is powerful. Do we believe that? Do we know that to be true? We take a note this morning. Point number one we want to consider from the first half of the verse. James chapter 5, verse 16a. Point number one this morning is the reason to pray. The reason to pray. Prayer is a part of the Christian life. For sure, it is a part of the Christian life. In verse 16, it says this. James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And the famous statement that goes, What is the therefore, therefore? It is because of everything he has mentioned here in verses 13, 14, and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him ask for prayer. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. And is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, anointing him. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. James has been hashing out this point he wants to make. Therefore, here's what we need to consider in this matter of prayer. When sickness is happening, when sin is happening in the church, calling for the elders, praying for one another, confessing to one another. Therefore, this is what needs to be happening on a regular basis. Confess your sin to one another. This is why we are to pray. So often prayer can become very ritualistic. Sometimes prayer can just be the few items that we have on our minds and we pray about those things when we are concerned about one another, we have more to pray for than we realize. When we don't care about one another as we should, when we don't
don't know what's happening in one another's life, our prayers can be very minimal. We pray for the same thing, the same order, the same way each day if we pray at all. But because sin is real in each of our lives, no one is sinless. No one is without sin. No amount of denial or self-justification can change that. But confession among God's people in the church exposes our sin for what it is. It's easy to hide my sin when I don't talk about it. The Lord knows. I go to him. I confess to him. Scripture tells me to do that. We are supposed to do that. But it's easy that I can make myself look better because, well, God knows what I'm working through. I'm dealing with it with him. But as far as everyone else goes, not their business. But when we confess to one another, it exposes it for what it is. But by way of reminder, what is sin? Sin is our iniquities. Sin is our transgressions before God, our guilt. Or as we often teach our children in various songs or, or lessons, sin is anything we say or do that breaks God's heart. But I also like what John, Pastor John Piper says. He says sin is this. Is it, it is an assault on God. That's what sin is. It's an assault on God. So James writes to us and and reminds us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that as we are caring for one another, as we are loving one another, as we are serving one another, as we are meeting the needs of one another, one of the greatest things we can do to meet one another's needs is to pray for one another. But before we pray, we confess. We bear one another's burdens, as Galatians chapter 6 tells us. We share what's, what, what's going on in our lives to expose our sin and say, I'm really struggling with this thing. This habitual sin that I have dealt with even before I was a believer keeps popping its ugly head back up in my life. I know I'm dead to that sin. I know Christ has saved me from that sin. That temptation is just so real. Scripture acknowledges it as such. But sometimes we want to cover it up. We want to justify it or deny it's not really there. Say, I'm saved. I'm good. Yes, true. But it keeps rearing its ugly head in the most unexpected times. And the reason for that is probably shows what it really is, is exposed when I go to my brothers in Christ and I tell them with what I'm struggling with. I make it real. There's no hiding it when others know about it. I, don't, I can no longer deny it. I can no longer justify it. I can no longer cover it up because it's known. But now we know how to pray for one another. Now we know how to care for one another. Sometimes it can be in person, bowing our heads together in prayer. Sometimes it's that, that text or that phone call that says, hey, I'm facing temptation again. Will you pray for me? Yes. Yes, I will. I still have some friends from Bible college who do that. Even years later, text and say, hey, pray for me. I'm struggling. Yes. Yes, in a heartbeat, I will do that. Please do the same for me. Confess your sins to one another. This implies we are a repenting people. Yes, we repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and we are saved. But repentance isn't just a one-time thing. Salvation is, for sure. But it's that ongoing confession and repentance. Repentance is that turning away from that sin. It's dead to me. I want no part of it. 
So when we confess our sins, it implies that we are a repenting people, that we are demonstrating, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that we are keeping in step with the Spirit. We feel guilt and shame when we sin, and we want to get rid of it. Or when temptation comes, we say, no, no, I want no part of that. When repentance is happening in the lives of God's people, in the church as a whole, we know that sin is being dealt with regularly. So we are not living a double life, double standard. We're not being hypocrites. We're not giving a foothold to our adversary, the devil. We know that when we cover it up, when we try to justify it, when we don't confess it because it's nobody else's business, those justification phrases we use, or those thoughts. Did you know that when we say it's nobody else's business, it's just between me and the Lord, we are actually giving the enemy a foothold on us? Because yes, God knows. God knows our struggles. God is at work in us through his Holy Spirit, for sure. But when it's a constant battle between him and I, I know that he is faithful and just to forgive me, so I'll just confess it again. But I'm going to continue to struggle with it because it's hidden. When I confess it to my brothers or sisters in Christ, confess it. It shows it for what it is. Pastor Tony Evans says, confess your sins. If you will deal with your sin, you will see God at work in the lives of his people, in the lives of the church. So our one another, our theme for this month, love and care and serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, also means that we are going to confess to one another. The implication here from James, practically, is that confession is to be a regular part of God's people. But when was the last time we confessed? When was the last time we went to somebody? It doesn't mean we come up in front of the church and air all of our grievances and burdens and struggles. That might happen. But really, practically, it's just going to somebody. It's me going to Eric. Say, man, pray for me. It's him coming to me. It's me going to Don. Saying, Don, this is where this is where temptation is real in my life. Can we pray about this together? And this honest confession for one another, because we care, we trust one another. We trust that the person we share is not going to go around blabbing it and telling to other people. If there, if that is the case in the church, that is another issue. To but if we're growing and trusting one another and loving one another, we're, we're going to know who we can talk to. We're going to know who we can share with, walk alongside and bear one another's burdens and confess to one another as the scripture says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. We don't just confess and say, okay, help me, I'll get around to it. Yes, I'll remember to pray for you. No, stop and pray. Add that person to your prayer list throughout the week. Call, text, follow up with and say, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your unsaved family member. I've been praying for your sickness. And I remember, you know, you shared with me your struggles the other day. I've been praying for that as well. Why? Because we care. In the first half of our verse, you know, this key phrase is mentioned. Confess to one another and pray for one another. The implication here is that James is talking about prayer and confession are regular means happening together in tandem among God's people. We talked about what sin is, but we need to maybe remind ourselves what prayer is. I get up here, Eric gets up here, and we pray. Sometimes we show up to a prayer meeting and we pray together. But what is prayer? Although it can be defined many ways, and I found many wonderful definitions to describe it, I stumbled upon this one this week by uh, Dr. Paul Tripp. And I like the way he describes prayer. 
He says, prayer is abandoning my righteousness and admitting my need for forgiveness, resting in the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's a mouthful, but it's good. That if it's abandoning my self-righteousness, it's abandoning my need, that I'm in control, my righteousness, and saying, no, I, I need the Lord Jesus. He goes on to say, prayer is one of God's sweetest gifts that sometimes we consider prayer such a burden i have to pray when will i when will the prayer be done but trip reminds us that prayer is one of god's sweetest gifts to us the command to pray is itself a sweet and loving gift from a gracious and caring heavenly father prayer is where god welcomes his children to talk with him to abide with him it is that holy place where the deepest of our worship deepest of our needs and the most honest confession all intersect with the glory of divine love. For prayer to be prayer, God has to be God. Without this, prayer is an act of religious futility. Again, a mouthful. But really, it's a sweet gift from God where God says, come, talk with me. We consider often consider prayer a burden or when will it end? And yet prayer is the time Find grace and help in time of need, as the book of Hebrews tells us. We get to approach him and just pour out our hearts, saying, Lord, this is where I struggle. This is where I need you. Lord, help me today. Lord, thank you that I can know you. Thank you that I can worship you. Thank you that I can read your book. Thank you that I can fellowship with God's people. Oh, and by the way, God's people, so-and-so is struggling here. We intercede for them. We get to go before our gracious Heavenly Father who loved us and gave himself for sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. We have an advocate with God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we get to go to him to share the things on our heart, on our mind. We get to talk to the God of all creation. This is what prayer is all about. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do we confess to one another? Why do we pray for one another? Well, as James 5.16 says this, that you from what? Sickness? Yes. We pray, we intercede for one another, and we leave it up to the graciousness of God and His sovereignty and His providence, and sometimes we get better, and sometimes we don't, but we, we, prayer is acknowledging that we are trusting Him in that, for sure, but it is also more that you may be healed. Healed from what? From sin, sickness, and death. How many believers or people who have once confessed Christ as Savior off and live for the things of the world and by their actions do not bear fruit but deny that they even were ever a Christian. We intercede for them and pray that the Lord would open up their eyes, that they would get rid of their sin that is holding them captive, giving a foothold to the evil one. We pray for them that they would be restored. But we also pray for one another that we would be healed. Because sin is devastating. It wrecks our lives. It wrecks those closest to us. It holds us captive. We pray for one another that we be healed. We're exposing sin for what it is. We are bearing one another's burdens so that I don't have to be captive. I'm captive to that secret sin I don't want to tell anybody about. I can find freedom in it and put it to death because I know there are brothers in Christ walking alongside of me. Because they know my struggle is real. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to hide. I don't have to justify. I don't have to deny. But that you may be healed. 
The Puritan Thomas Watson said this, that until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. As long as we're holding on to that sin, he means to say, is that prayer will be a struggle because we care more about what that sin is. But another pastor comes along on this topic from, from Watson, says, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. This pastor turns it around a little bit. He says, you know, it makes me think when I read that statement that until Christ is sweet, sin will not be bitter. That is what needs to happen among God's people. When we confess, we know the sweetness of Christ. We know the bitterness of sin. But when we keep it to ourselves, sin is not all that bad because I can just keep justifying it. I can keep hiding it because it's nobody else's business. Before we go on to point number two, here's a few questions by word of application. Do you desire my head is not that clear, but those are, those are rare opportunities. On a regular basis, though, do we desire to pray? If not, why not? What sin or sins need to be confessed? It could simply be that we don't desire to pray because we're clinging too tightly to that sweet sin we don't want to let go of. We want to keep justifying it. And yet, as Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Very true. You told God, I confessed my sin. Well, good. He is faithful. He will forgive. But who have we confessed to? To walk alongside us. As long as I keep, as I heard one person, individual say some years ago, I can just keep 1 John 1 9 it, which is just justification, which actually shows the Spirit's not at work, because I God is faithful, yes, for sure, very true. Confession exposes it and makes it real. Do you desire to pray? What sins do you need to confess? When we, we've seen the seriousness of our sin and the need to expose it in prayer, well, let us go on and see what else the text says, because it's very encouraging for us. Point number one is the reason to pray. Point number two is this, the result of result of prayer. Prayer shows our dependence on God who is at work in us. The result of prayer shows our dependence on God and that he is at work on on us. Prayer will be answered. The text goes on in verse 16 after it says that you may be healed. It says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Prayer of a righteous person. This is one who has been redeemed, who has been justified before the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, an honest confession, we don't pray as we should because we don't feel worthy of it. We don't think that God will hear us. We think I'm too unclean, too unpure. Prayer is never about being perfect. Prayer is never about having all the right answers. Prayer is not about having the right emotions and all the right words to say. The Pharisees did that in the Gospels, and Jesus condemned them for it. 
prayers that Jesus commended were those who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't know what else to pray right now. I'm struggling. But the prayer of a righteous person, when we read this text, we can maybe quickly go over and say, well, that's not me. Well, that's those super Christians or those holier and thou people. You know, I'm still a work in progress. No, we are all still a work in progress. This is not some super spiritual Christian, but one who knows that they are a sinner saved by grace. Who can go to the Lord in prayer because they know that they have been saved and are secure in the blood of Jesus Christ. They stand righteous before God because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed them from sin. They stand righteous before God because the Lord Jesus Christ is interceding on their behalf. Saying, no, they are no longer enslaved to sin. I've paid for this person. My righteousness covers them. So as James is hammering this out, this idea of what it means to be a church, to grow as Christians, he says the prayer of a righteous person believer in Jesus Christ who knows they're standing before the Lord, the person who knows they stand redeemed. This is the person that is going to pray. By implication, that is any believer in Jesus Christ who is dependent on the Lord, who goes to him. A righteous person, as one commentator said, a righteous person is not someone who is sinlessly perfect, but someone who is simply walking with God, caring about what God wants, wanting to honor obey him. A righteous person is an ordinary normal person who wants to serve God because they know that Jesus Christ has saved them from their sin. The result of sin is the result for prayer, sorry, is that we know we can go to the Lord because we know that we have been redeemed. We know that we serve a God who hears us. We know that we serve a risen Savior who is interceding on our behalf. We serve a Lord who indwells us by the Holy Spirit, as Roman tells us, so that when we don't know what to pray, Romans 8, he gives us the words to say. I texted somebody recently and said, I'm, I'm struggling to pray. And I said, and I told that person, I said, I'm actually struggling to pray because there's a lot going on at my church right now. I need, I need a lot of wisdom. I said, I don't know what to pray for. He said, he wrote back and said, well, sometimes that's the best prayer because you don't know what to pray, but the Lord knows what you need. That's what I needed to hear. Be greatly encouraged. When the person prays, as the text goes on, the righteous person, the prayer of a righteous person, the text goes on to say this, has great power in its working. Has great power in its working. Why? Because God loves to answer the prayers of those who are his. God loves to answer our prayer. Paul Tripp goes on to say this, find prayer through him a little bit ago, but he goes on to say this, because prayer works because God is God. It's not some ritual, but rather because God is God, he has invited us to bring our true selves to him. It's not an invitation to bring him a catalog of our self-oriented desires, as if we are a little more than a, as if he is a little more than a cosmic delivery system for whatever craving consumes us at the moment. We don't pray this point is we don't pray until we need him. Now, Lord, answer all these things because I'm in great need. That's not what prayer is. No, the heart of prayer is worshipful submission to him, which produces gratitude, humility, and a willingness in us. I go to the Lord in prayer because I know the Lord will answer. I go to the Lord in prayer because I know that I am in a great need and I am dependent on him. A 
And yes, we are to intercede. We are to bring our prayer requests. We are to bring our lists before the Lord. But it's not just that. We go to him in worship. We go to him in confession of sin. And now we go to him to intercede on behalf of others. Here's so-and-so struggling. Here's so-and-so in sickness. Here's so-and-so who needs you to pray for their salvation. But so often we treat prayer as just that list. And we miss so much else on the intimacy and the fellowship of the Lord in depending on him. But the text says it has great power in its working, or as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is prayer is happening when God's, people, when God's people go to him. And as they go to him, God is at work in that prayer. God is working among his people, the church, the body of Christ, teaching us to depend on him, to go to him, and to submit to him. It is not our ideas, our innovations that accomplish change in the church. It is the power of prayer and going to him continually. We can have ideas, we can have plans and programs, nothing wrong with that. God goes to work as his people come to him dependently, pray to him dependently. And there is great power in that work. The late Bishop J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors from the past century, he reminds us of the fervency and the need for prayer. And his words are very pointed, very sharp, but a good reminder for us. He says this, he that knows nothing of real, living, private, and I would add, public prayer, and is content with some old form or with no prayer at all, is dead before God. He has not the spirit of Christ. Going back to our question I asked earlier, do you desire to pray? And if not, why not? Maybe our desire to not pray and to stay away from it simply because we do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We've confessed Christ, but the Holy Spirit does not really indwell us. Because if we really know him, he will stir our hearts. He will convict us of sin. He will cause us to grow. And prayer demonstrates that fruit. If we spend our lives with little to no prayer, it could be a demonstration Pastor Mark Dever, an author I like to listen to and read on occasion, he reminds us of the importance of prayer. It exposes our sin. It gets to the heart of the matter. It reminds God's people that God is at work. Pastor Dever says this, let's spend so much time in public prayer in our churches that some people are bored of talking to the God they only pretend to know. To which I would add, how do we know the, who those people are? Well, we really don't. But if our hearts are telling us, when will this prayer ever end? Why is prayer even important? That might be what those people are. But it's the Holy Spirit who will reveal that to us and remind us. Who are we praying for? Who are we interceding for? Who is confessing to us? And who are we interceding for on their behalf? But also, who are we confessing to? Who are we asking prayer from? Who should we be praying for on a regular basis? And going back to our text here, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So I ask this question. Do you believe that God answers our prayer? 
prayer just a ritual? Something we know we're supposed to do as, as believers? Or do we really believe that he answers prayer? But here's a follow-up question. Do you believe that there is power in prayer? Do we believe that when we go to the Lord and interceding on behalf of others, we have a Holy Spirit, our, adv- our advocate, Lord Jesus Christ, who is helping us to know how to pray? Do we believe that God is at work? He doesn't submit to us. Do our plans, our things, our agenda, our way. No, we go to him. We submit our wills to him. We submit our lives to him. We're dependent. We say, Lord, I can't do this. This is why I pray. I am struggling in this area. That's why I pray. Do we believe that God has the power to answer that prayer? That he will. I think many times we pray somewhat expectantly. We pray knowing we're supposed to. We pray knowing that God hears us he's all-powerful God, why wouldn't he hear our prayers? But, you know, he might answer when he gets around to it. You know, my prayer seems so insignificant compared compared to what everyone else is praying, so you know, maybe God has a priority list and mine isn't as high on the priority list as some others. But these are just deceptions, lies from the evil one, tempting us, saying, no, it's not that big a deal. Get over it. Do it quickly. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. God doesn't really care for one another as we've talked about in this series. I hope our prayers are not just a formality. I hope they're not just a ritual. I hope they're genuine. I hope they're real. I hope they're happening on a regular basis. And as we close, I'm going to offer just a little brief commercial for you. Wednesday night, we have a prayer meeting. It is a wonderful time together to intercede expose our sin, for men and women to pray together, young and older, and to care about one another. And it is always a blessing of a time. Yes, we talk about certain topics. Currently, whatever, bite-sized theology. Yes, there's some teaching there. But that is only for the first few moments. We spend the rest of the time taking prayer requests and praying and interceding for one another. But what grieves my heart, and I'm just going to be honest with grieves my heart is that the Sunday morning can be so filled 
Wednesday night can be so dismal. And I think simply it's because, yeah, practically, we're busy, we're tired, we have kids, we've had a long day at work. Yes, true, very true. But simply, I think sometimes it is that way because we don't believe in the power of prayer. We care more, more about getting our rest. your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is worth. Do we believe that? Our Heavenly Father, we pray now as we come before you. We've talked a lot about prayer. We've mentioned Father God what sin is and how evil it is before you. Father God, so many times we can make lives about us. It's private. It's my business. It's my affairs. Father God, it just gives the enemy a foothold. Father God, I pray that we would be a church that goes dependently on you, interceding on the behalf of others, knowing that you're at work in us. Father God, forgive us when we treat prayer as a formality, as a ritual. Father God, let us be like the tax collector in the gospel movement that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not for show not for demonstration. It's simply to show our need. Father God, there are people in this room, each and every one of us, real people, real sinners in need of you. We're all in desperate need of you. We all have sins we struggle with. We all have things we would like to keep hidden. We all have things that we don't want to expose. But Father God, sometimes we're held so captive. pray that by your Holy Spirit, this can be very dangerous to pray, but Father God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would convict our hearts, our minds, to confess to one another, to run to one another, and say, help me, pray for me, I'm struggling. At this point, I, as we're still praying, I want to offer an invitation. Go to the Lord in prayer, in your own heart, in your own mind, right now, very briefly much like we do on Communion Sunday. What do you need to confess to the Lord? And then say to the Lord, show me somebody I need to talk to. I pray, Father God, that as your word says, that you would search our hearts and our minds. Reveal to us our sin. Reveal to us where we struggle. And bring it before for this invitation. Anyone in this room who thinks they're a believer, truly not, that you would convict them. Maybe someone in this room who knows they don't know you as Savior. That you would do a work in their life this morning and that they would understand their need of a Savior, repent from their sin, and trust you. And if you don't desire to struggle is to pray real. Go to Lord and say, Lord, as the disciple said, teach me to pray. Pray that prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. Quit hiding, quit justifying, quit wondering. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that for the gift of prayer. We thank you that you 
help us as Portage Bible Church, as a church, as a body of Christ, brothers and sisters, to care for one another, to pray for one another. Help us to remember that prayer is powerful. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is expected. Let us not treat it. Thanks, and we ask in Jesus.